Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved. So good to see see you. I don't see you, but you can see me, some of you. So good to be with you. Um, God bless you, and um, some of you already know that I am traveling today. Um, Even as I speak with you, this was recorded live for you because I couldn't be live on the program. We are looking to see if God has a new home for us. So I ask your prayers for that. It's quite thrilling to think that this may come about finally. Um, But we'll see what our Lord has in store because his ways and timing are always perfect. We don't ever get frustrated on this end because we want his will above all. I can say to you that his will is my food. And I I often think about a statement that St. Francis de Sales, who was our, he was my first patron, and I believe that he led me to St. Benedict and us, and we're Benedictine sisters now. We have St. Benedict and St. Uh, Francis de Sales as our patron, patrons, as, uh, as well as Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Joseph. We can't leave that. They are first. But St. Francis de Sales, in speaking of the will of God, has said, and I know I've said this sometime in the past, he said, um, if you want, talking about wanting the will of God, he said, if you want pure water, what difference is it to you if uh, you are served pure water in an old clay cup or a golden chalice? He said, what's the difference? You have what you want, which is pure water. And he said, so if you want the will of God, what difference is it to you if it is served to you, the will of God, in affliction, consolation, and any other matter? What's the difference? You have what you want, which is the will of God, to which I ask But how do I know I have the will of God, to which I answer? But see, I just have to put things in simple terms so I could understand them, but I don't make anything up. It's the church's teaching, it's the teaching of the saints, it's scripture, and I believe with all my heart. When we want God's will, when we desire it above all things, including our breath, it's not that we will have it, it's that we are in it. End of story. We don't even have to know what it is. That's not important. The important thing is to be in the will of God. And if we desire God's will above all things, that's not a desire our flesh is going to give us. And it's certainly not a desire the enemy is going to give us. No way. It's from God. One of my favorite Psalms, uh, 137, or is it 37? I have to look. It says, delight in the Lord with all your heart. Um, Uh, And he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give them to you. I used to think, if he gives me my desires, I may be in trouble. But no, if my delight is in him, he gives them to me. He puts the desires in my heart. And what he puts in, he will work out. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So I don't have to be afraid. If God, I want above all, no matter what, then I don't have to be afraid of my desires. You see, so my desire, God's will is my food. I don't have to know what it is. 
I want it because it's better. Do I have certain desires? Do I hope certain things will work out in a certain time and this will happen and that will happen? Of course, of course, I have a million. I dream 24-7. But when I would love something and I go for it and the answer is no or it doesn't work out, there's a momentary sting in our humanity, absolutely, and then I say immediately after that initial sting, doesn't last more than 10 seconds. I say, Lord, if you don't want it, I don't want it. End of end of story. And you can say, well, how do you know God doesn't want it? Because it didn't happen. I don't need to know anything else. It didn't happen. So he doesn't want it. Well, what if it's your fault it didn't happen? What if it's your sin? What if it's your failure? Well, still God doesn't want it. Maybe I'm not ready for it. Maybe I need to grow in holiness before he would give me certain things. Whatever it is. It's still God's will, and I trust him. So I would rather have his will above anything that I want because I would be quite stupid. I will use that word, stupid, my finite little creature that I am, to think I know what is best for me, my happiness, God's glory, everything else, more than God. It's insane. It's laughable. So no, what God wants is what I want. Why did I say all that? Oh, because I'm traveling. (laughs) I'm traveling to see if uh, in this trip God has a home for us. So I will let you know uh, next week uh, how that turned out. Um, But for today, it's a brand new program, which we pre-recorded for you, which means you won't be able to call in or text or email. You will be able to do that on Monday. And so we will be back taking questions again on Monday. But for today, we are going to continue... Uh, and those of you who have been with us this week can guess it, Pope Leo XIII's encyclical on labor and capital, which we began on Labor Day. And it is a treasure of an encyclical. I am, I am so pleased that we were so led to read through this because it is perfect for our time today, perfect for our society, perfect for the healing of our ills, and perfect for the uh, destruction of the, well, the destruction, I'm going to say, for our not buying into the destruction that this world is going into, especially the many candidates, presidential candidates as well, who are speaking about socialism. That will destroy uh, the country. It will destroy the family. It will destroy civilization. And do they know that? They don't know that. They're, they're ignorant They're not stupid, but they're ignorant. They are without knowledge of the effects of communism. And Pope Leo XIII has spoken well of it, and it is against all that God has given. So let me continue with this encyclical. Um, And I'm going to, as always, when I start to continue, I, I back up just half a point to say that on this subject, we need but recall for one moment the examples recorded in history. Of these facts, there cannot be any shadow of doubt. For instance, that civil society was renovated in every part by Christian institutions. That in the strength of that renewal, the human race was lifted up to better things. Nay, that it was brought back from death to life and to so excellent a life that nothing more perfect had been known before or will come to be known in the ages that have yet to be. And I will interrupt there to 
um, interject a point I interjected yesterday, only later in the encyclical, that if it's going to be a Christian institution, it needs to be Catholic and fully Catholic. Again, if you are Catholic and you bring in speakers that are uh, in, in favor of same-sex marriage or transgenderism or uh, whatever it may be, uh, take the name Catholic off your um, um, title because you're not Catholic. If you are Catholic charities and you adopt babies out to same-sex same sex couples, remove the name Catholic from your organization. If you are any organization at all, and you call yourself Catholic, a school, and yet in a school you have transgender bathrooms, you have sex ed, you have gender ideology, you have programs to teach the children that are not, not only not Catholic, but will destroy their faith. Take the name off your school, you have ceased to be Catholic. The evil today is not so much what Catholic so-called institutions are doing, that's evil, evil enough, but it's because they do them under the name of Catholic. That is what is evil. That is not Catholic. That is a lie. And bishops who allow it are, um, I have to say, not Catholic. They are not. They are not Catholic. They are not keeping their vows. They are destroying the church and the faithful. Let me see where I am now. Oh. Okay. Of this beneficent transformation, Jesus Christ was at once the first cause. That's the transformation from non-Christian to Christian. Jesus Christ was at once the first cause and the final end. As from him all came, so to him was all to be brought back. For when the human race, by the light of the gospel message, came to know the grand mystery of the incarnation of the word and the redemption of man, at once the life of Jesus Christ, God and man, pervaded every race and nation and interpenetrated them um, with his faith his precepts, and his laws. And if human society is to be healed now, in no other way can it be healed save by a return to Christian life and Christian institutions. When a society is perishing, the wholesome advice to give those who would restore it is to call it to the principles from which it sprang, for the purpose and perfection of an association is to aim at and to attain that for which it is formed. Same with religious institutions, beloved. So many nuns have left their habit, have left their charism, priests as well. It's terrible. They've taken a new age. They've done all kinds of things because they're no longer Catholic religious, even though they maintain the name. They have to go back to the reason for their formation, to their very foundations. And they have to renew, resume their charism and their habits, and their veils especially. Um, for the purpose and perfection of an association is to aim at and to attain that 
for which it is formed, and its efforts should be put in motion and inspired by the end and object which originally gave it being. Hence, to fall away from its primal constitution implies disease. Do you hear that? To fall away from its primal constitution implies disease. To go back to it, recovery. And this may be asserted with utmost truth both of the whole body of the commonwealth and that class of its citizens, by far the great majority, who get their living by their labor. Neither, Pope Leo XIII says, neither must it be supposed that the solicitude of the church is so preoccupied with the spiritual concerns of her children as to neglect their temporal and earthly interests. Her desire is that the poor, for example, should rise above poverty and wretchedness and better their condition in life. And for this, she makes a strong endeavor. By the fact that she calls men to virtue and forms them to its practice, she promotes this in no slight degree. Christian morality, when adequately and completely practiced, leads of itself to temporal prosperity, for its merits the blessing of that of that God who is the source of all blessings. It powerfully restrains the greed of possession and the thirst for pleasure. Twin plagues they are. The greed of possession and the thirst for pleasure are twin plagues which too often make a man who is void of self-restraint miserable in the midst of abundance. It makes men supply for the lack of means through economy teaching them to be content with frugal living and further keeping them out of the reach of those vices which devour not small incomes merely, but large fortunes and dissipate many a goodly inheritance. Oh, dear ones, there are parts of this I'd certainly like to repeat for clarity, but I, but I won't. I'll go on. And if you wish, you can always look up the encyclical of Pope Leo XIII on labor and capital. The Church, moreover, intervenes directly in behalf of the poor by setting on foot and maintaining many associations which she knows to be efficient for the relief of poverty. Herein again, she has always succeeded so well as to have even extorted the praise of her enemies. Such was the ardor of brotherly love among the earliest Christians that numbers of those who were in better circumstances despoiled themselves of their possessions in order to relieve their brethren, whence neither was there any one needy among them. You see that, beloved? Look at Acts chapter 6. They all shared what they had in common. That is not communism. That is the rich giving to the poor and the poor assisting the rich, knowing that everything comes from God. And those who have more are to help those who have less, and those who have less help in other ways than financial. To the order of deacons, this is the quote from that chapter, to the order of deacons instituted in that very intent was committed by the apostles the charge of the daily doles. 
and the Apostle Paul, though burdened with the solicitude of all the churches, hesitated not to undertake laborious journeys in order to carry the alms of the faithful to the poorer Christians. You see? Um, We see in Scripture, beloved, how Paul um, uh, asked those who were richer churches to give their alms, to give out of their own riches to those who were poorer. And in that way, they gave to Christ. Tertullian, church father, calls these contributions given voluntarily by Christians in their assemblies deposits of piety, because to cite his own words, they were employed, quote, in feeding the needy, in burying them, in support of youths and maidens destitute of means and deprived of their parents, in the care of the aged and the relief of the shipwrecked. You see, um, beloved, it doesn't always take money to help each other. It doesn't always take money. Uh, One of our sisters was on the highway the other day, the way home from Mass, and there was a woman all by herself on on the edge of the highway, by herself, sitting and crying. And sister got off the freeway and safely parked the car and walked back to her and asked if she could be of help. And the woman who was sick, she didn't ask for money. She had no way to get home no way to get home. And I don't always recommend this when a sister's by herself, but the sister here um, just um, sensed that this would be a legitimate situation and put her in our van and drove her home and would have picked her up the next day for a doctor's appointment because she was ill. But another member of her family came and took her. It's just that she had been stranded. And uh, someone else today, um, this sister met, and um, uh, what did she need? I forget. Uh, She had no food. And so our sister went to um, a gas station nearby where they had food and bought food and brought it back to her. Didn't give her money. She didn't even have money. She just had a credit card. She bought breakfast and brought it back to her. There's so many ways we can help. So many ways we can help. And not assume that everybody's down and out because they're bums or lazy or... No, not at all. Absolutely not the case. Okay. Um... Okay, next. Thus, by decrees, degrees came into existence the patrimony which the church has guarded with religious care as the inheritance of the poor. Nay, in order to spare them the shame of begging, the church has provided aid for the needy. The common mother of rich and poor, which is the church, has aroused everywhere the heroism of charity and has established congregations of religious and many other useful institutions for help and mercy, so that hardly any kind of suffering could exist which was not afforded relief. You know, I'm not telling you you should do this, but we don't go anywhere 
to church and back every day or other trips without having money to give to the poor from our window at stoplights or any other. We always take money with us. There are people who donate us, donate to us for the poor. They know that we give to the poor and they give us donations for us to give to the poor and we don't touch it for anything else but giving to the poor. We don't buy groceries with it. We don't pay tax. We don't do anything. We keep it for the poor. And if we run out of the money people have given it to us, we take from whatever we have. It's not an issue. And and some people say, but they're the same people, you know, week in and week out on the same corners. They're the same people. Uh, you're just enabling them. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I understand that. But if I could take them and house them and help them with a better life, we would do that. We cannot do that with everybody. We just can't do that. We got a call from somebody in Florida because of Hurricane Dorian, and they're afraid uh, they're not going to last there. And I said, we have space here. If you can get to Tulsa, we'll take you, you know, it, because we have space. They can sleep lots of places in our in our priory here. We, we'll put them up, um, even on the couch. We'll put them up. You see, so we give what we can, and we know when we are giving to the same people who uh, will not better themselves, they actually choose their lifestyle. And we stop, and we smile, and we give them what we can, we say, God bless you, and the smile back on their face, and they're saying, God bless you back, uh, when they see us, they light up, it's worth it, beloved. Are they, in our lifetime, ever going to have a better life? I doubt it. I doubt it. Are we giving them money for drugs? In some cases, yes. But they can't survive without food. So they have money for that, too. Uh, I had a $10 bill on me once. It's the only thing I had, and we needed a couple of dollars. And I said to him, all I have is the $10 bill. I can't give it all to you. I'm so sorry. We need a couple of dollars uh, for gas, actually. And he, he said, oh, trust me, sister, uh, let me just go. It was to McDonald's. Let me just get coffee and a bagel, or whatever, not a bagel, a bun, or whatever, a hamburger, whatever he got. He said, and I'll bring you the change. I said, okay. And I gave him the $10, and he brought the change. I don't even know where he went, but he brought the change back. It's, it's just beautiful, beloved. We have to, all I have to know to see um, if I should give to someone is I think of myself in their position. And I'm not. Do I want them to have a better life? Yes. Do I think in many cases they can do something about it? I do think that. I was a jail chaplain 12 years. I know they can. In many cases they can. But I re- I'm just telling you these stories, beloved. There was one case where a woman would be let out of jail and she, her, the government... The social services rather took her child from her because she slept under the Sixth Street Bridge. And the Red Cross would come by and give her blankets like others, give them a little food. She would take a shower in an abandoned auto body shop and she would come to jail. And every time she came, she gave her life to Jesus. And then she'd be released and it was for prostitution or drugs or whatever it was. And then she'd be released and I would help her get her child back, get her a place to live, get her on her feet, get her a little job, do something. And she had 
everything to be taken care of. And she was back in jail every time within a couple of months because she couldn't handle the success of it. She's used to failure. She's used to being beaten up by her pimp. She's used to being defeated. She's used to death. And as sick as that sounds, beloved, that's home to her. And you say, but we want to help these people and they don't want help. You know what? It's not that they don't want help. They cannot receive it. Uh, One psychologist once said it's a matter of being homesick. It's homesick. There's a sickness there that when you've lived your life abandoned, under a bridge, out in the street, uh, beaten up, used, all of that, that it's sick, but it becomes home. It's what you know. Death is what you know. And it's the only place of security for you. It's crazy. Put someone in a good home. They're not secure. I'm letting you know this. Because they believe it won't last. They know they can't be successful. They know that because they've always failed before. Why not get it over with and just go back to the 6th Street Bridge and let social services take my child again, put me in jail, at least I'll have a clean bed and food. Beloved, You have to have some of these experiences with these people to know that we help as much as we can. There's the music for our break, beloved. And again, because this is a pre-recorded program, um, you won't be able to call in uh, or text or email today, but we will be back shortly and we'll continue for today. And then we'll be back with you Monday with your live calls and emails. Don't go away. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. It started like it does for many people, question my faith and question authority. And I feel that the reason why I left was the, the draw of the world. The world was pulling me away. Some people would say, you know, Satan would, you know, Satan was working on me. He did not want me in church. He wanted me to be desperate. He wanted me to have the thoughts of suicide. I started to realize that a lot of the things that I experienced in my life were a result of my rebellion against God and against authority. Coming back to the church is the first step in healing from all of the hurts of the world. I went from being desperate and in despair to finding hope and encouragement for for the future. I'm on God's team. I, I know who I belong to, and I know where I'm going, and there's nothing that can separate me from 
God's love. Take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome back, beloved. This is um, Heart to Heart. No, it is not Heart to Heart. I'm still getting used to our new title, Mother Miriam Live. Same as Heart to Heart with Mother Miriam, but new title and live streamed through the Station of the Cross and Facebook and their live and their, uh, not, what's my problem? A Station of the Cross and Live Site News, both their Facebook pages, Mother Miriam Live on Facebook, YouTube. I can't keep track of this, but they're doing a fantastic job in in connecting us and I am I am forever grateful. So we are speaking of the society, the civilization that God has set up where we serve one another. And he did not make us equal in intelligence, in ability, in skills, in earning uh, ability, in um um in location, one is in a rich location, uh, highly civilized with every convenience. Another is in a third world country and and is quite content uh, to do everything by the water of the river and all of that. Um, God has done that, that we come together as a family and serve one another. There's no way that people living in a, a rich if we say so, metro, of course, metropolitan areas are not always rich. Always rich, they're tremendously poor pockets. But uh, in a city person uh, has much to offer um, a person in another culture, or third world, or anything else. And that person has much to offer a city person. I know this. Uh, you know this. It's obvious. Different cultures, different experiences. We see the world as we think it is, but it's not as we see it. It It is in part what we see, but it is different from everybody's eyes, you see? And so we only see a teeny-weeny snippet of it, and we are arrogant enough to think that what we see and what we think is what is. It's not. It's a part of things but it's not for the fullness of reality. If we're not open to learning from others, to receiving others, to serving others, to see them as our equal in dignity before God, not equal in any other way, but just in dignity, made in the image of God, we need to do that. I'm going to continue with Pope Leo XIII's encyclical on um, labor and capital. And he says this, Um, By decrees came into existence the patrimony which the church has guarded with religious care as the inheritance of the poor. Nay, in order to spare them the shame of begging, I'm repeating this part, um, in order to spare them the shame of begging, the church has provided aid for the needy. The common mother of rich and poor has aroused everywhere the heroism of charity and has established congregations of religious and many other useful institutions for help and mercy. And I want to add that the family is an institution for help and mercy. Every family should be helping other families. 
so that hardly any kind of suffering could exist which was not afforded relief. I have a friend who every Easter and every Christmas, she and her children would pack up dozens of baskets, for Easter baskets, Christmas shopping bags or baskets, and just go into every poor neighborhood and knock on every door and say, Happy Easter, Merry Christmas. End of story. And if the people weren't home, maybe in some cases they left it on the porch. And it changed the life of the children. They became missionaries at heart. It didn't matter to them if they got nothing for Christmas. It was so rewarding to them to give like that, to see uh, the happiness of others like that, because God made us that way. God made us to give our life away. Pope Leo XIII continues, At the present day, many there are who, like the heathen of old, seek to blame and condemn the church for such eminent charity. They would substitute in its stead a system of relief organized by the state. But no human expedience will ever make up for the devotedness and self-sacrifice of Christian charity. Charity as a virtue pertains to the church. For virtue, it is not unless it be drawn from the most sacred heart of Jesus Christ. And whosoever turns his back on the church cannot be near to Christ. It cannot, however, be doubted that to attain the purpose we are treating of, not only the church, but all human agencies must concur. All who are concerned in the matter should be of one mind and according to their ability act together. It is with this as with providence that governs the world. The results of causes do not usually take place save where all the causes cooperate. It is sufficient, therefore, to inquire what part of the state should play, um, what part the state should play in the work of remedy and relief. By the state, we are here, we, let me start that again, by the state, we here understand not the particular form of government prevailing in this or that nation, but the state as rightly apprehended. That is to say, any government conformable in its institutions to right reason and natural law. Let me continue. Sorry, I had a little notice I had to take care of here. Um, And to those dictates of the divine wisdom, which we have expounded in the encyclical on the Christian constitution of the state, the foremost duty, therefore, of the rulers of the state should be to make sure that the laws and institutions, the general character and administration of the commonwealth, shall be such as of themselves to realize public well-being and private prosperity. This is the proper scope of wise statesmanship and is the work of the rulers. Now a state chiefly prospers and thrives through moral rule. Do you hear that, beloved? Do you hear that, candidates 
for office. Do you hear that? A state chiefly prospers and thrives through moral rule. Any state that advocates killing babies in their mother's womb has no sign of moral rule whatsoever. It is purely evil. Okay, beloved, there's the music for our last break. It's going to be quite short. Don't go away. And again, because we're pre-recorded, you will not be able to call in email or text, but we have a very short time when we come back. We'll continue this, beloved. Um, And uh, so don't go away. Okay, we'll be right back. Confusion on matters of faith and morals is widespread, even within the church. It can be disheartening, with clergy celebrating gay pride masses, the Pope considering allowing women to become priestesses. It is easy to lose sight of the true teachings of the church. LifeSite News Catholic can help. We are a clear, trustworthy news source that is dedicated to the teachings of the church. We, as the laity, have a duty to know and defend our faith and tradition. In order to do so, we must be educated on the teachings of the church and on the truth about current events and developments within the church. Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook and Twitter, or sign up to receive our emails by going to LifeSiteNews.com in order to maintain your clarity and peace in the midst of chaos. Have you ever felt insignificant or unworthy of God's love? In the Gospel of Matthew, our Lord reminds us that even all of the hairs of our head have been counted. Each and every one of us, at every stage of life, is valuable to the kingdom. Human life is sacred. Think about it. CoalitionForLife.com Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern Time for Sermons for Everyday Living. There's no better way to start your day than by tuning in to hear real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. For details about upcoming episodes and for podcasts of past shows, visit thestationofthecross.com and click on Sermons for Everyday Living under the Programs tab. That's Sermons for Everyday Living weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is the last segment of our program for today. And again, because it's pre-recorded, it's recorded live for you. It's a fresh program, but you won't be able to call in or text or email today. But you will uh, on Monday when we're back with you from our trip. So we are reading... Um, the um, encyclical of Pope Leo XIII on labor and capital stemming from Labor Day. We began it on Monday, and it is, um, it's lengthy, but it is a treasure. It has been, I have found it an absolute treasure, um, and so perfect. Nothing of the past 
It's so perfect for our day. Um, and we're talking about um, uh, by the state, when we say that um, the state is set up to assist, not to rule. Um, Pope Leo the Thirteenth says, by the state, we here understand not the particular form of government prevailing in this or that nation, but as the state is rightly apprehended. That is to say, <clears throat> any government conformable in its institutions to right reason and natural law and to those dictates of the divine wisdom, which we have expounded in the encyclical on the Christian constitution of the state. The foremost duty, therefore, of the rulers of the state should be to make sure that the laws and institutions, the general character and administration of the commonwealth, shall be as such shall be such as of themselves to realize public well-being and private prosperity. This is the proper scope of wise statesmanship, and it is the work of the rulers. Now, a state chiefly prospers and thrives through moral rule. That's where we left off with my comment that any state that advocates the killing of the unborn in its mother's womb and now we have in New York State, up till birth, um, is purely evil. It's purely evil. It's not a moral rule. I'll reread the beginning of this sentence. Now, a state chiefly prospers and thrives through moral rule, well-regulated family life, not the destruction of family life through abortion in the womb and euthanasia, the killing, the murder of its elderly well-regulated family life, respect for religion and justice, the moderation and fear, fair, F-A-I-R, imposing of public taxes, the progress of the arts and of trade, the abundant yield of the land, through everything, in fact, which makes the citizens better and happier. Hereby, then, it lies in the power of a ruler to benefit every class in the state." and amongst the rest to promote to the utmost the interests of the poor. And this in virtue of his office and without being open to suspicion of undue interference, since it is the province of the commonwealth to serve the common good. And the more that is done for the benefit of the working classes by the general laws of the country, the less need will there be to seek for special means to relieve them. There is another and deeper consideration which must not be lost sight of. As regards the state, the interests of all, whether high or low, are equal. The members of the working classes are citizens by nature and by the same right as the rich. They are real parts, living the life which makes up through the family the body of the commonwealth, and it need hardly be said that they are in every city very largely in the minority, rather in the majority. It should be irrational to neglect one portion of the citizens and favor another, and therefore the public administration must duly and 
solicitously, how's that, solicitously, provide for the welfare and the comfort of the working classes. Otherwise, that law of justice will be violated, which ordains that each man shall have his due. To cite the wide, wise words of Thomas Aquinas, quote, as the part and the whole are in a certain sense identical, so that which belongs to the whole, in a sense, belongs to the part. Among the many and grace and among the many and grave duties of rulers who would do their best for the people, the first and chief is to act with strict justice, with that justice which is called distributive toward each and every class alike. But although all citizens without exception can and ought to contribute to that common good in which individuals share so advantageously to themselves, yet it should not be supposed that all can contribute in the like way and to the same extent. No matter what changes may occur in forms of government, there will ever be differences and inequalities of condition in the state. Society cannot exist or be conceived of without them. See, beloved, there will always be inequalities. And that's the way a society builds and learns and serves one another. Socialism strives to eliminate inequality by really destroying the individual, the family, and and, and society. Pope Leo XIII continues by saying, Some there must be who devote themselves to the work of the commonwealth, who make the laws or administer justice, or whose advice and authority govern the nation, the nation in times of peace and defend it in war. Such men clearly occupy the foremost place in the state and should be held in highest estimation, for their work concerns most nearly and effectively the general interests of the community. Those who labor at a trade or calling do not promote the general welfare in such measure as this, but they benefit the nation, if less directly, in a most important manner. We have insisted, it is true, that since the end of society is to make men better, the chief good that society can possess is its virtue. Nevertheless, it is the business of a well-constituted body politic to see to the provision of those material and external helps, quote, the use of which is necessary to virtuous action, end quote. Now for the provision of such commodities, the labor of the working class, which is the exercise of their skill, and the employment of their strength in the cultivation of the land and in the workshops of trade is especially responsible and quite indispensable. Indeed, their cooperation is in this respect so important that it may be truly said that it is only by the labor of working men that states grow rich. Justice, therefore, demands that the interests of the working classes should be carefully watched over by the administration so that they who contribute so largely to the advantage of the community may themselves share in the benefits which they create. 
that being housed, clothed, and bodily fit, they may find their life less hard and more endurable. It follows that whatever shall appear to prove conducive to the well-being of those who work should uh, to the well-being of those who work should obtain favorable consideration. There is no fear that solitude of this kind. I'm sorry. There is no fear that solicitude of this kind will be harmful to any interests. On the contrary, it will be to the advantage of all, for it cannot but be good for the commonwealth to shield from misery those on whom it so largely depends for the things that it needs. I continue. We have said that the state must not absorb the individual or the family. Both should be allowed free and untrammeled action so far as is consistent with the common good and the interests of others. You see that, beloved? The state must not absorb the individual or the families. Rulers should, nevertheless, anxiously safeguard the community and all its members. The community, because the conservation thereof is so emphatically the business of the supreme power that the safety of the commonwealth is not only the first law, but it is a government's whole reason of existence. And the members, because both philosophy and the gospel concur in laying down that the object of the government of the state should be not the advantage of the ruler, but the benefit of those over whom he is placed. That's a long sentence, and we'd have to go over it and take it apart, beloved, which we won't stop to do. But again, you're welcome to look up this encyclical of uh, Pope Leo XIII on labor and capital. Excuse me, written a couple of hundred years ago and, and absolutely perfect for today. Pope Leo says, as the power to rule over comes from God and is, as it were, a participation in his, the highest of all sovereignties, it should be exercised as the power of God is exercised with a fatherly solicitude, which not only guides the whole, but reaches also individuals. In religious life, beloved, the abbot is a father, Abba Father. He is the father of community. In a woman's community, the abbess, or in my case, prioress, is the mother of the community. Um, uh, in the family, the father is the head of that community um, and has to take properly his God-given role and uh, exercise the power of God with a fatherly solicitude which not only guides the whole, but reaches also every individual. Again, with a fatherly solicitude. Whenever the general interest or any particular class suffers or is threatened with harm, which can in no way be met or prevented, the public authority must step in to deal with it. Now it is to the interest of the community Excuse me for yawning. Ah. Now it is to the interest of the community as well as the individual that peace and good order should be maintained. 
that all things should be carried on in accordance with God's laws and those of nature, that the discipline of family life should be observed and that religious should be obeyed, religion should be obeyed, that a higher standard of morality should prevail both in public and private life, that justice should be held sacred and is so strong to keep the populace within the line of duty. For if all may justly strive to better their condition, neither justice nor the common good allows any individual to seize upon that which belongs to another or under the futile and shallow pretext of equality to lay violent hands on, an, on other people's possessions. Most true it is that by far the larger part of the workers prefer to better themselves by honest labor rather than by doing any wrong to others. But there are not a few who are imbued with evil principles and eager for revolutionary change, whose main purpose is to stir up disorder and incite their fellows to acts of violence. That is um, uh, tremendously more the case today, isn't it, beloved? The authority of the law should intervene to put restraint upon such firebrands to save the working classes from being led astray by their maneuvers and to protect lawful owners from um, spoliation. When work people have recourse to a strike and become voluntarily idle, it is frequently because the hours of labor are too long or the work too hard or because they consider their wages insufficient. The grave inconvenience of this, not uh, of this not uncommon occurrence, should be obviated by public remedial measures. For such paralyzing of labor not only affects the masters and their work people alike, but is extremely injurious to trade and to the general interests of the public. We're going to stop there, beloved, for today. There's our ending music. And I, I pray this has not been too boring or studious or monotonous for you. It, the, the information here is simply magnificent. It's God's law of how we should live our lives today, how the state should be run, and whom we should obey, and how we should treat one another, whether they're Christian or not. That does not make that difference. God bless you all, and we'll speak with you on Monday. Have a wonderful weekend.